Hello, and welcome to this edition of Secure Networks, the Endace Packet Forensic Files, with your host, Michael Morris. This week's very special guest is our first guest on this uh, podcast series, Justin Fear, VP of Tactical Risk and Response at Darktrace. Justin, welcome back. Thanks for joining. Why don't you, uh, again, remind everybody a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, so I've uh, been with Darktrace uh, since days of startup. So I got to see it grow and evolve to now what's a publicly traded company and uh, you know a full platform of uh, numerous different products. Um, and then prior to that, I supported the Intel community working on issues of counterterrorism, specifically cyber operations, as you could imagine. So, uh, you know, I have also had the luxury of getting to see the other side of our business. Well, that's why uh, really excited to have you as a guest for this this edition and this episode, because uh, we wanted to talk about uh, nation state security, right? Uh, government security. There's a lots of new mandates in place. And really, it's becoming the new front front lines, shall we say, in uh, nation state battles and warfare. So how do you see this continuing to evolve? So I don't think it's any surprise to anybody that, you know, cyber tools are now a weapon in the war chest of obviously very developed, you know, powerful nations, as well as some underdeveloped nations. Uh, it's a cheaper weapon <laughs> to manufacture. Right. Um, and it, it's probably, in my opinion, easier to deploy, uh, you know, and I also would agree or, 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 or suggest that it causes more damage in the long run, not necessarily kinetic, yeah. but longer term damage, economic impact, socio impact, you know, and so um, I think the gloves are off, you know, we've seen that, you know, with what's going out on the Eastern Bloc right now. Um, and as anybody would guess, you know, every nation is watching that and looking at how successful that's been. And sadly, that's just the way of the future. I think that we have to prepare for for the foreseeable future, really. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And you're right, the damage, it could be longer lasting, and it, and it could be you know, frankly, life-threatening, depending on what they're attacking, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Those ICS systems uh, have a, a funny way of moving into the physical world. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just I just look at the, you know, even the uh, colonial pipeline thing, the outage there, the drama it created in terms of gas shortages was... I sat on those gas lines. So uh, <laughs> I, can imagine. I, I remember sitting on those gas lines thinking to myself, I learned about this in school. Uh, you know, back in the 70s, people sitting on these gas lines waiting, what are the odds I'd get to experience that? <laughs> um, one thing I worry about, you know, a lot of reporters ask me what keeps me up at night. And that's just, you know, the vulnerable state we're in right now, you know, with oil prices being what they're at. <clears throat> yeah. Think of what colonial impact had years ago when prices were stabilized. That impact now would be twofold with the high price of gasoline. So that that is something that kind of worries me. It's just the vulnerable place we're in right now. No, absolutely correct. And one of the things I want to dive a little deeper in, there are obviously a lot of new security mandates coming out, being rolled out here in the U.S. in particular, but really around the globe. Um to, to tighten cybersecurity standards for, you know, different government agencies. Um, how can you, can you talk about some of the highlights that you've seen and some of the things that that's going on in that space? So first and foremost, hats off to CISA. I think, you know, what they're doing with the Shields Up program, uh, you know, all of the alerts they're sending out on a very, you know, uh, frequent basis is just phenomenal. It, mm -hmm. it, it's about time, you know, that we are getting this, 
I tell customers time and time again, watch those alerts like a hawk. That is their way of giving you classified information without giving you classified information. Uh, They're not just sending that alert out for their health. It's because they probably got some intel on something in regards to that. Um, The other thing I'd say is the awareness coming from the White House. You know, politics aside, I don't care what side you sit on. I don't care what color you are. The very fact that our administration is talking about it is a huge win. Now, you know, sometimes it's just talk and it's not enough action and that's fine. We got to start someplace. Mm -hmm. Um, My hope is that that continues for administrations to follow and we don't lose sight. Um, I know it sounds strange, but I was excited to hear, you know, the White House talking about open source software security, you know, like who would have thought, you know, Granted, most of them probably didn't even know what open source meant or, you know, the different libraries they were talking about. But the sheer fact that the conversation is happening is an absolute win, I think, on so many levels. So I I think it's there. You know, now we just have to, you know, put pen to paper and do something with with some of this. Well, exactly. And, and, you know, I completely agree. I'm glad they're having these conversations. Um, Do you think the mandates are enough or where do you still see some big holes and risks? Right. We've got to get the ball moving, like you said. But uh, are there there higher risk areas in your mind? So, I mean, if you follow the theme that's coming out of CISA, it's critical infrastructure. That is all they want to talk about. And that should raise some eyebrows. You know, I mean, that's what keeps the lights on and keeps our air conditionings running during these heat waves. Um, And I think for good reason. I don't think enough people appreciate the fact that critical infrastructure is a national security threat. You know, think of what your life would be like right now in Texas with 107 degree weather and no power. Um, And I go back to that point earlier, you know, these cyber attacks um, cause way more damage, you know, kind of secondary damage than people think about, you know, not being able to charge your, your electric vehicle or running air conditioning. And then there's the vulnerable population. And so, you know, something as simple as having running water and electricity uh, can be as detrimental as, you know, a kinetic airstrike without being too morbid. A- absolutely. Well, and, not only that, the, the you know, the fall on effect, everybody's talking about supply chain issues. Imagine if the entire state of Texas was without power for a week or two right. weeks or whatever it may be. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a domino effect, you know. It costs more to deliver the goods out there, you know. I don't even have refrigerator units to put the goods in, so there's just I don't think enough folks think of it anything more than well, the lights will be out for a few days, and we'll as a family go out and you know roast roast marshmallows around the fire. It's going to be a lot worse than that. Um, right. So I think I think that is definitely an area that is still vulnerable, and and we all know the talking points. It's old technology. It's still a very analog world. Um, you know, but on the flip side, those very talking points that have solutions, bringing them up to date, making them more digital, giving them remote access are what's introducing the vulnerabilities. So um, it really is a catch 22 if you think about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, where I wanted to take this too is you know, we see more and more foreign rogue nations in particular hiring or contracting hacker groups, right, to, to create or leverage various hacking techniques or malware that's already out there. Um, and, and basically, they're being hired as contract threat attack teams. Um, so, so obviously, the counter uh, governments, our government, are going after these groups to take away their funding, right? And really, a target is the cryptocurrency market. Uh, 
How do you see these groups evolving and expanding? And how does the cryptocurrency piece of this weigh into it? I mean, again, you don't have to look too far past history. I mean, it's right. the same concept as a mercenary, you know, it's right. a cyber mercenary. And in, and in some regard, it's a better tactic to go. It's a proxy to go through. So right. sometimes things don't blow back against you. Um, you know, I think a couple of things are going to happen. I Sadly, I think you're going to see more of them. Uh, it's a lucrative business. And we all know that their moral compass uh, does not necessarily follow the majority of the globes. Um but I do think you are seeing more nation states going after them. Now, uh, I can't comment to what the U.S. is doing. I can only comment what I read out in open source. But you can see just by some of the takedowns, you know, I don't think, you know, the FBI has ever been more public about, you know, faces, putting faces to people that they've identified overseas and essentially putting them on watch lists to the point where they can't travel anywhere. Um, and that is a very big shift, I think. So I, I think there's a lot of work being done, probably in the classified arena. So we're not hearing as much about it <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, as we'd like to be hearing about it. Um, but yeah, I, it, like I said, you know, nothing's going to change. It, it's it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, and I think we just have to shore up our defenses, both in the private sector and the federal side to combat that. Well, that's where I wanted to go to uh, on the other side of the table, right? There's a significant shortage of cyber defenders yes. or combatants, <laughs> right? To, to, to defend the nation state. What more needs to be done from your perspective in training and resourcing across the globe, right? This is not just a U.S. problem, but uh, to, to balance the number of uh, ethical hackers uh, and, and cybersecurity experts to for the defensive side. So training, 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 education, education. You know, I wish I'm going to date myself 24 years ago when I was in college, you know, and information systems was a brand new degree at that time. There was a cyber program. My gosh, like that would be such a fascinating program to get a four-year degree in. Um, I don't think we're there yet, but I, I think I am starting to see things moving in that direction. Um, focusing here domestically first, pay. You know, uh, for instance, on the federal side, their attrition is through the roof because they're losing everybody to the private sector right. because they can get paid better. Again, you know, my hat is off to CISA. They are one of the first agencies to do competitive pay. And a lot of folks said, well, that's going to throw the GS schedule on its head. And <laughs> and it might very well have done so. But it wasn't a few months later until the FBI was out in Congress testifying, saying we're going to do the same thing. So they are putting the pieces in place to make it a more attractive place to work, both financially, you know, uh, you know, uh, and, and as a recruitment tool. Globally, that's a different story. You know, every nation has different resources, uh, you know, and different mandates. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do agree with you. I'm tired of reading about the fact that we're in a deficit and, you know, not to not to add even worse to the to the listeners. But I did just read a couple of weeks ago that part of the great resignation that's happening right now. They're thinking a third of the cyber workforce is going to leave cyber completely due to burnout. Um, and so wow. it's not just pay. I think we need to look at the ones we have and figure out a way how to keep them. Uh, you know, and yeah. stop throwing more tools at a smaller team, expecting them to work longer hours and holidays, you know, and then beating them to pieces when something gets through and breaches the network, uh, you know, and blaming them and only them. No, so I think it's twofold. It's not just hiring more and it's retention as well. 
No, that's the one thing I hear from, you know, the security analysts I talk to is just the sheer overwhelming nature of the work, right? I mean, the volume of alarms they're trying to get through. And, you know, I read an article not too long ago about how many alarms just don't fully get investigated because they're just too many, right? And so you're absolutely spot on on the burnout front. Speaking of that, you know, in the international uh, cooperation, collaboration are you seeing um, good good uh, cohesion between different nation states on, on training and resourcing as well? Um, are, are they working together from your perspective enough? I, I haven't been, you know, privy to that. But I will, I will say is, you know, just last week, you know, the UK and the US announced a joint CISA, you know, facility over in our Five Eyes partner in the UK. That's huge. I yeah. mean, that's a first of its kind. Uh, again, that's a Five Eyes partner. So I'd love to see it in the other partners. Right. And then I think grander picture is like a, a NATO cyber force. Yeah. You know, like, can you imagine what would come out of all these different nations putting these bright minds in the same room together to combat these things? Um, and so, I again, I think we're heading in the right direction. When we start talking at that level, there's so much bureaucracy and red tape, yeah. uh, you know, ahead that uh, these things just take time which is unfortunate because we know that in our industry, we don't have time. The attackers are moving faster than ever. They're adapting to our new ways faster than ever. Um, And so that is one area I'd like to see some change, both domestically and internationally. It's just moving faster. We don't have the luxury of, you know, putting an RFI out and then an RFP and then waiting 18 months to award it and then staffing up. And it's been three and a half years before we actually deploy something. Uh, those days have, have 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 passed quite a bit. That that's you nailed my biggest concern is the the speed of which cyber threats and the cyber industry changes um, is is just still orders of magnitude at a different pace than the political arena <laughs> moves. Yeah, I, I, and I hate saying it out loud, but in reality, the defenders are not winning this battle. You know, I I mean, unfortunately, the minute we find a new way to combat them, they already have something in their pockets to combat that. And so, you know, granted, we have to abide by laws and rules that they don't necessarily have to. But um, as you said, agility, we need to learn to work faster uh, while still maintaining operational security, obviously. Yeah, Yeah, uh, every CISO I talk to is really... It's not if you're going to be breached, it's when and how how well can you retain it and or contain it. Um, and and so the the big buzzword I'm hearing continually is resiliency versus, you know, all out prevention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, going down that path a little bit from a solutions point of view, what are some priorities government agencies need to ensure they're adopting or implementing? That's tough. I mean, I've been out of the government for a little while, so I don't know <laughs> how they're operating now. I have to imagine, and I've read reports that there's a big push to, you know, federal cloud environments and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, obviously, the USG has just been pounding the zero trust concept, you know, yeah. um, and for good reason. Uh, but I always tell every client I speak to, um, the first question is, what is your definition of zero trust? Because everybody has a different definition of it. And zero trust is not a thing. It's a concept. It's a framework. Um, And so um, I think that is going to probably be the number one priority, especially as they are starting to move into more private cloud environments. Um, That identity and management is just going to be absolutely huge. 
to prevent the next Snowden, to prevent the next, you know, uh, insider from, you know, getting access to data they shouldn't have been. And and I think that's going to open up a whole new host of problems when it comes to protecting classified data and whatnot mm-hmm. that we might not have had when we were running on more esoteric, you know, mainframe type, uh, you know, uh, systems. No, absolutely. So, Justin, as you know, I always like to ask kind of your prognosticator question, looking out uh <laughs> Six to 18 months, right? If you were to say, what's one thing our listeners should really keep an eye out for uh, in, in the battle for cybersecurity, what's the one thing at, at top of your mind? So let's look at it from two perspectives. For the defenders, I think automation, automation, automation. Anywhere we can augment the humans. And I've worked for an AI-based company, <laughs> so I use the word human more than I ever thought I would because there's a very big difference between the human and the software. So try to augment them again to minimize that burnout and keep those folks mm. um the other is the offense and and we're already starting to see the shift you know ransomware is not going anywhere uh but as you would expect they're gonna pivot you know it's getting harder for them to deploy their regular tactics one thing that i saw recently that really worries me quite a bit is there's some intel that shows ransomware actors are focusing on more firmware now And I don't think folks realize the danger of that because now that gives me the ability to brick your device, not just wipe it, but brick it. And as you alluded to earlier, we're in a supply chain crisis. So if I lose 5,000 laptops, I can't just call up my sales rep and say, I need a truckload here tomorrow and I'll pay the overnight cost. Uh, They're going to tell me it's a three month wait because of the chip shortage. So um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the ramifications of a new colonial with the gas pipeline. The supply chain across the entire globe is what puts all of these things at risk. And so um, I'd say watch ransomware because it's going to pivot and it's going to pivot fast and it's probably going to catch a lot of us off guard. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Justin, thanks for joining and sharing your tremendous insights in how to better secure networks. We ask our listeners to tune in next time for another edition of the Enday's Packet Forensic Files. For more information about Endace's network packet capture platform and our integrations with our fusion technology partners like Darktrace, please go to endace.com. Justin, thanks again. Thank you. All right.